the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. What he wants to do is to be able to take the word of God and to present it to his people that they might take comfort in the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's his sole purpose. That's his sole intent is to teach them the truth that they are secure in Christ and that they might take comfort and understand that they will never be condemned at any time. And so Paul opens up for them and for us truths about divine sovereignty and security which, as we've been seeing each week, we aren't able to fully comprehend, but that's all right. Nobody else understands it either. But we can believe it, and we can rejoice in it, and we can live out the implications of these truths. So step by step, as a pastor making it plain for his people, the Apostle Paul opens it up for us. We may not be capable of comprehending all that the Apostle Paul was communicating in Romans 8, but we can certainly understand enough to find wonderful assurance that our salvation is secure and kept that way, not by us, but by our loving and all-powerful Savior. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the midst of a series of lessons from Romans 8 about God's sovereignty and our security. Some people might wonder, why does God make a big deal out of our security? He's so great, why would it matter if a few people lost their salvation now and then? Well, as Pastor Steve will explain, there are a couple of reasons. One has to do with us and the other with God himself. Here's Pastor Steve now with today's lesson. I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8. My Bible is getting rather worn at Romans chapter 8. But I think that's the way God would have it. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, or I am persuaded, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul was a great theologian. No debate about that. But you know, his primary goal in presenting the truth of the word of God was not uh, just to store up information in people's minds. It was not just to accumulate theological knowledge, but it was to help people, the people he was writing to. He didn't want to just increase their, their understanding. He wanted to help them. In other words, Paul's letters are really pastoral. Paul is a shepherd. Maybe he didn't have the title of elder of a church or pastor to a specific church, but his letters are the letters of a shepherd. He always deals with theology from the standpoint of ministering to the flock, never from the standpoint of equipping them to debate one another, never from the standpoint of, of teaching them controversial subjects so they'll, have, uh, so they'll be armed to know how to win an argument. No, when Paul launches into a discussion in chapter 8 of Romans of the sovereignty of God and eternal security, he approaches it not as an impractical academic theologian, but as a shepherd, as a pastor. He's not concerned that people learn all the arguments so that they can go out and debate whether they're a Calvinist or an Arminian or whether they believe in four points or five points of Calvinism. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. It's all right. What he wants to do is to be able to take the word of God, to present it to his people that they might take comfort in the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's his sole purpose. That's his sole intent is to teach them the truth that they are secure in Christ so that they might take comfort and understand that they will never be condemned at any time. And so Paul opens up for them and for us truths about divine sovereignty and security which, as we've been seeing each week, we aren't able to fully comprehend, but that's all right. Nobody else understands it either. But we can believe it, and we can rejoice in it, and we can live out the implications of these truths. So step by step, as a pastor making it plain for his people, the Apostle Paul opens it up for us. We saw a few weeks ago in verse 28, the promise of security. And the great promise is this, he says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And the point in its context is this. All things are working together to make us like Christ. How could we ever think that something could come along that would destroy our faith? That something would come along that would get us off target? That something could come along that would eternally hurt us? If all things were working together for good, not all things are good, but God is so sovereign that he's working out all things, even the bad things, for our good. How could we think that anything could come along to destroy our faith, to destroy our relationship with Christ? You see, that is the promise of security, and it's a wonderful promise. There is nothing that could distract us, nothing that could overwhelm us, nothing that could destroy our relationship with Christ. 
He says at the end of verse 28, he says, it's not just, this promise of security is not just for everyone. This is for a select few, for those who are called according to his purpose. That, that is, those who love God. These are the called according to his purpose. Well, what is the purpose of security? Well, he tells us that in verse 29. The purpose is this. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son. There are really two purposes. The first purpose of, of security is to make us like Christ. Ultimately, we will be like Christ. If in this life, God causes all things for our good to make us like Christ, then the purpose of that is that someday, ultimately, we will be like Christ. We will be the redeemed, glorified humanity. As Linda just sang, God will say, welcome home, children. And those children will be conformed to his image. That is the purpose of security. But there is a deeper purpose. There is a more ultimate purpose. That he might become or might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God wants glorified, redeemed humanity, millions of them. Why? So that Christ Jesus might stand out as, as the preeminent one. That's what it means, firstborn. He is the unique one. He is the prominent one. He is the leader amongst glorified humanity. So the, the very purpose of security is not just to make us feel good. It's not just to give us assurance. It's not just to comfort us, but it's to glorify his son. Well, how is this all going to take place? It's all up here for us. It's all floating around theologically up here. How is God going to take us from point A all the way to glorification? Well, he tells us the process of security in verse 30. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also what? Glorified. In God's mind, it's as good as if it already happened. We're already glorified as far as God is concerned. In terms of its certainty and guarantee, God says it's as good as if it already happened. It hasn't happened in reality. We're still here. But as far as God is concerned, it is so definite, so sure. It's as sure as your justification that God could speak in terms of it being a past event. Aorist tense, he glorified you already. Paul could have stopped here, and we would have been fine. We would have, we would have had the doctrine of security and the sovereignty of God. But he didn't stop there. You know why? Because he's a good pastor. And a good pastor wants to meet the needs of his people. And just this information alone does not meet the needs of people. It didn't meet the needs of the Romans, and it doesn't meet everybody's needs in this church today. Because Paul knew, and I know, that there are some here who have questions about eternal security. Maybe not serious questions, but nagging questions and doubts and problems. And yet there may be some who do have serious questions about it. Paul anticipated that. He anticipated that the Romans would have problems with this doctrine. Remember, there, there were not 2,000 years separating Paul, he was right there, right where the action is. This is the first time they're hearing anything like this. And Paul anticipated that in their minds they wondered and they had problems. And how can you say, Paul, that you're, that you're once saved, you're always saved? And how could you say that? I mean, these are people who had been brought up in the law and they believed for all these years that you must do something to earn your way to heaven. And now Paul is telling them, not only are you saved by grace through faith, but you are kept by grace through faith as well. 
It is the gift of God. Salvation is, is, God, is of God's grace from beginning to the end. And so he had many Jewish people who were wondering. And maybe they accepted. Obviously they did accept the fact that, that they were saved by grace alone through faith. But uh, how do you keep that? And Paul, you're telling us that there's no condemnation. We don't understand. We've got a problem with that. So this morning we want to look at the problems with eternal security. There are really no problems with that. There are only problems from people's perspective, though the problems associated with eternal security. Now, I'm not positive about this, and I would not be dogmatic because the word doesn't say this, but I'd like to imagine that at the end of verse 30, the Apostle Paul paused. He said, in whom, in whom he predestined, these he also called, in whom he called, these he also justified, in whom he justified, these he also glorified. I think he paused in either writing it or dictating it to a secretary. And he paused. Why? I believe he would pause at this point to adore the Lord. Paul gloried in the fact that we are now glorified. It's as good as, as done. Heaven is certain because we're a part of God's sovereign purpose. And I think Paul just stopped and rejoiced in it and gloried in it. But after this pause of adoration, he broke into a magnificent series of questions which meet every major problem that a person can have with eternal security. So this morning, we want to look at the problems associated with our security. And hopefully, your problems and questions will get answered as we look at this. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? I mean, can't you just see Paul after bowing his head and, and adoring the Lord, just kind of pick his head up and say, what then shall we say to these things? It's kind of a challenge. Who dares to say anything to this? What shall we say? In light of all that we've seen concerning the promise of our security, the purpose of our security, and the process of, of our security, what should be our verbal response to this doctrine of the security of the believer. What should we say? Now that's a very relevant question. When presented with the truth of the security of the believer, what should we say? Not what should we do, what shall we say to these things? Now before we see what we should say, let me tell you what a lot of believers say. And believe me, there are a lot of Christians who say this. What shall we say to these things? Well, here's what some say. God can take back your salvation if you sin too much. There are some people who say that. There are others who say you can stop believing and you could forfeit your salvation if you stop believing. It's all predicated on faith and if you stop believing then God will take it back or you can give it back. That's what some people say. Others say Satan can make you lose your salvation. He's after you and he is like a roaring lion. If he gets hold of you, you're gone. You can't stand up against him. He can pluck you out of God's hand. There are others who say you can fall from grace. You can fall from grace, they say. And still others say, ah, a believer can go all of his life and then apostatize. He, could, he can abandon the faith. And he can lose it. Now, most believers who would make statements like these, uh, in my opinion, I don't think they've ever done a serious study of eternal security, and especially Romans chapter 8. Now, in many cases, that's probably not true. But there are many who make statements like that, and they have simply heard this taught, and they have never really delved into the Word of God themselves. But we have. We've been studying Romans. 
And we've been camping in Romans chapter 8. And if you were here for the Bible conference, you heard Dr. Strauss give you a double dosage of what we've been going over. So we, above all people, have heard and studied the word of God. What shall we who have studied Romans chapter 8 say to these things concerning the security of a believer? I'll tell you what we ought to say. We ought to say what Paul says at the end of verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? That's what we ought to say. If God is for us, who is against us? I, I love this verse. I love all the word of God, but there are certain verses that really stick with me. You know why I love this verse so much? Because it tells us that the believer has a, a spiritual super invincibility about him. In a sense, we're spiritual supermen and superwomen. Uh, nothing can penetrate us. The verse is saying this. You see at the beginning it says, if God is for us, it really ought to be translated since. It's not a question of doubt. Since God is for us, or if God is for us, and he certainly is, that's the thought there, then no one can ever rob us of the destiny of heaven. He's not talking in context about, about other things. He's talking about the destiny of heaven. If God is for us, and he certainly is, then who can ever rob us of the destiny of heaven? The answer is no one. No one can. Now, this is a problem people have with eternal security, and I'll tell you the way it really is. This is a problem of protection. If you're taking notes, that would be a good way to, to put a heading on this. It is the problem of protection. Is God strong enough to protect us from those who would try to pull us away from Christ? Now, many people have difficulties with that. They do not believe God is strong enough. Theologically, they may say he's strong enough, but practically speaking, they really don't believe God is strong enough. It's the problem with the power of God. The problem is not with eternal security at all. It is the problem with the power of God. In essence, the question is this that Paul is posing. Is anyone in the universe stronger than God so that they can frustrate the very purpose of God in choosing us to be glorified? That is really the, the thought here. Is there any power in the universe strong enough to do that? No, no. In fact, Paul's going to give the remainder of this chapter over to things like that. Who's going to bring a charge against us? Uh, who's the one who condemns? Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor anything can, can separate us from the love of Christ. Now, there are individuals who would like to have you lose your salvation. You know that? There are some individuals who would love to have you the way you used to be. If they could, they would tear you away from Christ. Had Paul simply asked the question, who is against us, we could have given him a number of answers, right? You want to know who's against you? That if they had their power, the power to do this, they would, they would cause you and they would cause me to lose salvation. Who's against us? The world is against us. Never forget that. The world is against you. They may smile at you. They may be friendly at times to you. But basically, they are against you. If they are not against you in terms of you understanding that they're against you, if it's not clear, uh, perhaps it's because you're not living a godly testimony out before them and they're not sure where you stand. But once they know where you stand, then they'll be against you. Will you turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15? In John 15, the Lord Jesus is telling the disciples that the world is against them. He doesn't want them to be blown away when he, when he goes to heaven and they're 
all of a sudden in the midst of this world and he doesn't want them to think that just because they've been given so many wonderful promises about heaven and the Holy Spirit coming and he says, I'll not leave you orphans. He doesn't want them thinking, oh, it's going to be a piece of cake. The church age is going to be fine. So Jesus begins to tell them the world is going to hate you. And he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, once again, that word if is the same thing since the world hates you. If the world hates you, and it most certainly does, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. You want to understand why they hate you? It's because they hated me. It's not anything new. And I'm not going to be here. You're going to be here. So they're going to vent their frustration out on you. But if, he says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you. The world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, what is he saying here? You know, one reason that the world hates us is because in accepting Christ, we have rejected their value system. We have rejected them. We have rejected their morals, their goals, their aspirations, their perspectives. It's sort of like switching churches. People feel like you're rejecting their church if you go somewhere else. Well, the world feels like we're rejecting their system if we go somewhere else and we turn to Christ. And the truth of the matter is we are rejecting their system. That's what repentance is all about. We have turned our backs on their system. We don't want to be a part of it anymore. And we're talking about the evil system. And they would like nothing better than to bring us back into that system. You know, that's what the world wants. They don't feel comfortable with us anymore. They'd like us to return to our old selves. They would like us to be the way we used to be. In fact, that's why many of you have, who have unsaved family members uh, have, have problems because they would love to pull you away from Christ. And if they don't verbalize it, what they're thinking is, why did you have to become a religious nut? Why did you have to become a religious fanatic? I liked you the way you were, self-centered, sinful, and not interested in the things of God. I liked you the old way. Why don't you go back to your old self, the person that I felt comfortable with? And if they could, if they had the power, they would pull you away from Christ. But they don't. And there are also secular educators and philosophers who would like to destroy our faith and lead us back to their self-centered view of life. So who is against us? The world is against us. But not only the world, the flesh is against us too. We're our own worst enemies, right? If your flesh had the power to do so, the flesh would move you away from Christ. It would turn you away from Christ. In fact, Romans chapter 7, Paul is, is saying that I have this struggle, this internal struggle. My flesh always wants to pull me away from Christ. But the new nature always pulls me back to Christ. And I have this internal struggle. So the flesh... You ever sing that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it far from the God I love? Sure, all of us are prone to wander. All of us would, in one sense, if we could, tear ourselves away from Christ, but we can't. We really can't. Not totally. So not only is the world against us, the flesh against us, but Satan is against us. And we know that, don't we? We who know Christ struggle daily with, with Satan. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and really demonic forces. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil, like a roaring lion, seeks to devour us. That's his desire. 
In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. Satan would love to do that. It should be sobering when we think about these three enemies who are so dedicated to our downfall. But then again, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse as we study Romans chapter 8 and the encouragement we find there regarding God's sovereignty and our security. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to hear today's lesson again or get caught up on previous ones, They are all available for free streaming or download on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. If you've been blessed listening to Verse by Verse and you'd like to help support this ministry, it's easy to do through the giving page, or you can call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. What if you had a big brother who had sworn to protect you no matter what the threat? And... What if that big brother made Superman look like a 98-pound weakling with the flu? And then some. Uh, You might be able to truly say with David, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. So, even though our spiritual enemies are powerful and numerous, because of Christ, we have nothing to fear. Pastor Steve will have more on our next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.